Well, I don't think I've officially introduced myself. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan Schold. I'm the pastoral assistant here at the church at West Creek. Um, I just, I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Um, you know, I'm really glad Steve introduced us to that book, When Santa Learned the Gospel. It's always fun to come across new stories at Christmas. Just yesterday, Jenna and I were watching a cartoon based on her favorite Christmas story that she introduced to me when we were engaged. The book is called Holly and Ivy. It's uh, by an author named Rumor Godden. And it features this orphan girl named Ivy who finds herself lost in the English countryside on a cold Christmas Eve. And as an orphan, there's nothing more that she wants than to find a family. So that's Ivy. Then there's Holly. Holly is a doll in the toy store. She wears a Christmas dress, so she's a Christmas doll. And she knows that if no one buys her before Christmas Eve is over, she's going back in the box, and she's going back in the dark inventory room until next Christmas, where she will be tormented day and night by a deranged toy owl who lives in the toy store. <laughs> so an orphan looking for a family, a doll looking for a little girl. Do I have to tell you how it ends? No. <laughs> if that storyline tugs at your heartstrings, maybe it's because it points to a real adoption story, one that's made possible by the events of Christmas. You know, Holly and Ivy actually has a curious parallel with the text that we're about to read. You see, Holly the doll is facing torment and darkness unless she's adopted. And you know what? So are the people in Johnny that we're about to read. But here's the difference. Holly the doll knows she's facing torment and darkness and that adoption's her only hope. But the people in Johnny refuse to acknowledge any of it. Well, we'll pick up uh, where we left off last week. Um, if I haven't already invited you to do so, uh, you take a Bible and turn to John 8, verse 31. You can find it on page 894. Last week we saw Jesus has just explained that he's the light of the world. Come from God so that people might have the light of life. And verse 30 says that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So we'll read the text, and as is our pattern, when I'm done reading, I will say something like the word of the Lord. And if you agree, I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Okay, so verse 31. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, 
a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, on this cold Christmas morning, churches all over the world are gathered together to hear about angels and shepherds and wise men coming to adore Jesus. And here we are reading about the devil and people coming to kill Jesus. <laughs> if you don't think that people trying to kill Jesus is in the spirit of Christmas, I understand. But just think for a minute, what happens not so long after the first Christmas? Herod hears that the king of Jews is born in Bethlehem and he tries to kill him, right? You see, ever since Jesus was born, he's been a sign that is opposed just like Simeon prophesied. Simeon's prophecy actually shows us two things that inevitably happen when someone encounters the real Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's Herod or the Jews in John 8 or us today, two things. When we really encounter the truth about Jesus, he reveals the thoughts of our hearts and Jesus ends up being either the cause of our rise or of our fall. Simeon's prophecies are actually going to help structure our time together today as we work through the text. 
So first, in verses 31 through 38, we'll see true freedom proclaimed. Second, in verses 39 through 47, we'll see the thoughts of many hearts revealed. And then third, verses 48 through 59, we'll see the fall of many in Israel. But fear not, because we'll conclude with the rise of many in Israel. Because you see, even though John 8 shows us people falling away from Jesus, the main idea of this text is that when we lovingly receive Jesus and abide in his message of salvation, he reveals us as God's children and frees us from sin. I'll say that one more time. When we lovingly receive Jesus and abide in his message of salvation, he frees us from sin and reveals us as God's children. And that's true regardless of our ethnic background. So first, true freedom proclaimed. Verse 31, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now the Jews here are confused about why they need freedom, because they say, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Um, 400 years in Egypt, 70 years in Babylon, right? An ongoing Roman captivity with no end in sight. Did they forget these things? I don't think so. I think they, I think they remembered. But, you know, imagine you go up to a very patriotic American and you tell that American, you need freedom. Who do you think you are? We're Americans. This is the freest country on the face of the earth. We've never been subject to anyone. Friends, that person knows that America used to be a British colony and they don't want to hear it. You see, the Jews here have a deep sense of freedom, and it actually does come, at least in some limited sense, from faith in God's word. We read earlier from Genesis 15, the Jews in this chapter know that God promised to give Abraham offspring, and they knew that God um, kept, he, he made that vow in the most solemn way he could, by taking the form of a smoking fire pot and passing through these torn pieces of animals. And in that moment, it's like God is saying, I will keep my promise to you, Abraham, even if it means that I have to be torn in half myself to keep it. Friends, God keeps his promises. But not always in the way we expect. So what does Jesus mean then? The truth will set you free. I mean, we've heard people say this, right? It's usually in the context of, my enemies, they're all lined up against me. They're trying to bring me down. But those liars, they don't know the truth. But I do. And when the truth comes out, justice will be served because the truth will set me free. Right? Is that what that means? You know, by nature, we are accused by an enemy. And when the truth comes out, justice will be served. But the one who's going to be vindicated is not us. It's God. Because by nature, God is our enemy. And he accuses us of cosmic treason against his kingdom. Because we owe him our complete allegiance, and we haven't given it to him. And when God calls us into his courtroom, there will be justice. That's what we're all facing by nature. Look, look at, with me at verse 34. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, practicing sin it means making a habit of it living a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. 
Now, maybe you're thinking, I'm not really sure about this talk about sin, but even if I, you know, agree about you know, the existence of sin, the things I do, it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm enslaved to them. Have you ever seen those TV shows where they have interventions for people with some sort of an addiction? And sometimes, uh, you know, they confront the person and then the person will say, I don't have an addiction. It's not that bad. I can stop anytime I want to. I just don't want to. Right? Friends, I say this as gently as I can, but denial like that is so often proof positive that someone is trapped in a behavior Enslaved, actually. And I think Jesus is very intentional in using the concept of slavery here. Now, I know slavery is a, an extremely delicate concept in our culture because of our history. But, you know, Jesus is just, he lives in the real world. He's looking around. He knows the way the world works. For what it's worth, the Greek word could also be translated bondservant. But the idea here is this, that in the ancient world, a slave had no standing in a household. They could be dismissed or sold. Now that's not true of sons. If you're a son, you have standing and you're secure. Think, for example, about Abraham. His son Isaac has standing and security in Abraham's house. But Ishmael, remember Ishmael's the child that Abraham has with Hagar the servant? Well, Ishmael does not have that same security or standing. And for better or worse, Hagar and Ishmael do not remain in Abraham's house forever. Now, when it comes to the house of God, by nature, you see, we are not Isaac. By nature, we are all Ishmael, enslaved to sin. No security before God. Unless, unless the Son sets us free. You see, we are not Isaac, but Jesus is the son who's secure in the house of God, perfectly secure because he's never sinned, perfect standing. But in a great exchange, this free son gives up his standing before God so that we who were slaves, no standing before God, that we might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, my friends, is the hope of Psalm 23. That's the hope of the freedom of sonship. And that's, that's just the start of freedom. Paul tells the Galatians that you, my brothers, were called to be free. Called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Friends, do you claim to be free in Christ? If you do, that's great. If you claim that freedom, do you actively look for opportunities to serve one another in love? Because, you see, service is built into the DNA of freedom in Christ. Another question. Do you claim to be free in Christ, but maybe you're living in ongoing, unrepentant sin? Well, John says unequivocally that no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Jesus or known him. It's 1 John 3. Now, that doesn't mean that when we become Christians, we become sinless. But it should mean that we sin less. Otherwise, it's like Jesus unlocks the door to our prison cell, says, be free. And we say, thanks, I think I'm just going to hang out in my cell a little longer. I mean, what, what's the point? He might as well lock us back up if we do that. 
You see, John 8 is actually a case study of what happens if we stay in the dungeon of sin. Now, I know we need to move on, but if you don't like the prison metaphor, what about the parable of the sower? Remember Matthew 19? You see, the Jews here must have received some kernel of truth about who Jesus is, because it says in verse 31 that these people had believed Jesus. But the soil of their hearts must have been rocky, because their faith doesn't take root. And when they're exposed to the scorching truth of God's word, their faith withers. Friends, if you don't want to be uprooted in your faith, then stay in God's word and stay with God's people because they're the water and the sunlight and the soil that our faith needs to grow. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, how are we supposed to do that? Well, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That means that we ourselves need to be growing in wisdom if we're going to admonish others in wisdom. Admonishing in wisdom and singing psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God. Let me ask, do you sing with thankfulness when we sing? If not, is Christ's word dwelling in you richly? Because true freedom means abiding in Jesus' word. Point, point number one. Point number two. The thoughts of many hearts revealed. Believe it or not, it's a good thing when Jesus reveals the thoughts of our hearts. Because only when we know what our hearts are really trusting in can we then forsake those things to put our trust in Christ alone. Now, the Jews in John 8 are trusting in their physical descent from Abraham and probably also in circumcision as a mark of being Jewish. There's a good chance that that is not what we are putting our trust in today. But we need to look and see what happens when Jesus takes the hope of these people um, and kind of does x-rays on that hope. So they're hoping in descent from Abraham. Verse 39, Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Well, Abraham lived 275, so that's a long time. He did a lot of works. What works is Jesus talking about here? Well, we read earlier in Genesis 15, 6, God makes a promise to Abraham. And it says, God believed Abraham. Abraham believed God. <laughs> Sorry. Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. God accepted Abraham as righteous in his sight just because he believed the promise. Now, Abraham would go on to do other things in light of that promise. He would become circumcised along with the males in the household. But here's the thing. God doesn't even mention circumcision until Genesis 17. But Abraham believes God's promise and is counted righteous in Genesis 15. That's what Paul points out in Romans 4, that God accepted Abraham just because he believed. That's it. He just believed. Even though Sarah was 90 and her having a child was as improbable as, I don't know, a virgin having a child. Friends, what makes you accepted before Almighty God is not circumcision or baptism or taking communion or attending church. Now, those things might describe us, but we're being foolish if we put our hope in them because the people God accepts are those who trust his promise. And what does God promise? 
Look at me, look with me at verse 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you believe that? That Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost if you come to God through him? I'm not asking if you understand it. I'm asking if it, if it is your best thought by day or by night in the depth of your heart. If that is the promise that you believe, then isn't it true that you're doing the works of Abraham? And then doesn't that mean that you're his child? And then doesn't that mean that you're also a child of God? You see, Paul tells the Corinthians that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, who God gives to his children. But the flip side of that is that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Now, Jesus be cursed, that has to mean, at least in part, disbelieving God, calling him a liar, rejecting the message of salvation in Jesus. And friends, if someone does all that, they call God a liar and disbelieve the message of salvation, what other conclusion can we reach except that that person is under the sway of Satan? You see, when Jesus calls Jews children of the devil, in verse 44, it's not like a Rosemary's Baby type of situation. I've never seen that film, and I don't really want to, but I, I know about it. <laughs> no, Jesus just means that our actions reveal our true identity. If we're allergic to the truth about Jesus, it must be because we're children of the father of lies. The reason that Satan's the father of lies is because he's been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Think about it, the lie that he told to Eve, it killed her when she believed it. You will not surely die if you eat from this tree. And is the lie oh so different today? You will not surely die a second death in hell if you reject Jesus. There's lots of ways to get to God. You know, I mentioned in Holly and Ivy that there's this deranged toy owl that in some way kind of represents the devil in the story. I don't mean this as a joke at all, but in John 8, I think Satan emerges a bit more like a cuckoo bird. I'm not an ornithologist, but I understand that the cuckoo will lay its eggs in another bird's nest, get that bird to raise its young for it. So bird grows up thinking, I'm a cardinal, I'm a cardinal, but it's really a cuckoo. <laughs> Friends, the devil is an expert in getting his own children to think that they're children of God when they're really children of the devil. There's a song playing on the radio this very morning, I guarantee it. I guarantee, I guarantee you. Um, it's a country western song. Uh, the singer will affirm to you that a, a jolly man in a big red suit knows we are all God's children. That makes everything right. <laughs> Friends, we must know our Bibles. We must know them. Because we are all God's children by creation, but we are not all his children by redemption. And if we say otherwise, we're actually no different than the Jews in John 8. Who, the reason they can't bear to hear the word of God is because they're children of the devil. Let me ask you, when I read this passage earlier and I said the word of the Lord, were we all able to say, thanks be to God, and really mean it? Even when the word of God tells us that some people are children of the devil. 
If not, I wonder how much we understand that by nature, none of us are God's children. And you know, the reason that we're all God's children is such an ugly lie is because the reality behind who God's children are is such a precious truth. You see, God promised Abraham children in Genesis 15, but Genesis 15 is not where God keeps that promise. Because when we get to John chapter 19, instead of seeing a smoking fire pot and animals torn in half, we see the hot wrath of God poured out on a torn Christ. But you see, in that moment at the cross, the wounds that mar the chosen one really are the wounds that bring many sons to glory. Friends, if we see our name written in his wounds, how could we ever cheapen that by affirming that we're all God's children regardless of faith in Christ? You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that's what we see with our third point, the fall of many in Israel. Well, the Jews have already turned on Jesus, They've apparently made some sort of a jab at him in verse 41 when they say, we were not born of sexual immorality. Maybe that means, Jesus, we know that you were conceived out of wedlock. Now in verse 48, they go on to say, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, that's not just a random insult. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans were distantly related. But they hated each other, and each group accused the other of worshiping God falsely. So in verse 48, they're basically saying, Jesus, you must be a Samaritan because you don't know the first thing about Israel. But you see the irony there? Because the true Israel is standing right in front of them. Jesus succeeds in every way that Israel failed. Israel is supposed to honor God by reflecting the radiance of his glory, except they fail time and time again. Jesus doesn't just reflect the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Israel is supposed to hope with King David in Psalm 16 that God will not abandon them to the grave. And here's a man who says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Jesus was born that man no more may die. You know what? No, more than that. Jesus died that man no more may die. Died to raise the sons of earth. Died to give them second birth. See, the true son of Abraham, born to set his people free, dies to set his people free. And in a funny twist, this son of Abraham was there the day that Abraham was born. And he was there before the great I am spoke from the burning bush. Because before Abraham was, even before God said, let there be light, Jesus is. Jesus is. He's God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So they picked up stones to throw at him, verse 59, actually proving that there is murder in their hearts because the Torah does not allow for mob violence, even if someone is blaspheming. They picked up stones, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Friends, the worst thing that can happen to you is if Jesus hides himself from you. 
So seek him while he may be found, because he's actually not far from any of us. And if we receive the true son of Abraham by faith, we get to be children of Abraham too. Children of the promise who receive God's blessing. Well, I said we'd finish by talking about the rise of many in Israel and beyond. Let me ask us two big questions. First of all, if you're a Christian, are you discouraged by people in your life who seem to reject Christ? Either people who've never professed faith or people who maybe once professed faith but have since fallen away. You know, I don't know, but is it possible that some of the Jews in John 8 might also have been there at the day of Pentecost? Remember this in Acts 2? Peter preaches the gospel to the Jews, and many of them were cut to the heart, and 3,000 of them repent and are saved. You see, there's hope, even for people who try to stone Jesus. You know, think about Saul of Tarsus. He didn't just try to stone Jesus. He actually did stone Jesus. Acts 7, he approved the stoning of Stephen. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear that when you persecute his people, you persecute him. Saul, murdering, lying, doing the works of his father, the devil. Until Jesus exposed the thoughts of his heart and brought him low in order to raise him up. So to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Are you discouraged about your niece or your neighbor? The person who seems the least likely person ever to come to Jesus? Or are they less likely than Saul of Tarsus? So take heart. Because God is patient and kind. And they may yet become a child of God. Second question. Are you yourself a child of God? I don't want to assume that just because you came here on the coldest Christmas morning and I don't know how long, that that necessarily means that that we're all children of God. John said back in chapter 1 that whoever receives Jesus and believes in his name, to that person, Jesus gives the right to become a child of God. A child born not of human decision, but born of God. What does that mean, child born not of human decision, like not born of human effort, like you don't do, what does that mean? Friends, how was Jesus conceived in Mary? By a miracle of the Holy Spirit, right? How are we born of God? Well, it's, it's not the exact same miracle, right? But still a miracle of the Holy Spirit who then drives us to confess that Jesus is Lord And if you confess that Jesus is Lord, let me ask you one follow-up question. Do you love Jesus? John 8, 42, Jesus says, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God. So do you love Jesus? Maybe you're thinking, well, I I believe he's the Son of God. I have confessed my sin. Okay, that's great. Do you love him? Well, love? What do you mean? Like a warm, fuzzy feeling? Maybe sometimes. I don't know, right? Okay, well, if you love him, you'll keep his commands. Well, if keeping his commands is what it means to love him, I don't know how good of a job I do. Maybe I don't love him that well after all. I'm sure you don't. Maybe I speak from experience. 
But do you love him at all? Can you look to Jesus and say, even in the feeble words of Peter, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You want to know what happens at the end of Holly and Ivy? Yes, right. Everyone ends up together and it's all happy. The doll goes with the girl, the girl gets a family, right? It's, it's very happy. But do you know how Ivy gets the doll? She's an orphan. She has no money. She can't afford to buy it, right? Well, of course, it's a Christmas gift. The person who owns the store essentially gives her the doll as a gift at his own expense. And all Ivy has to do was receive it. And friends, can you see that by nature we are all like Ivy? Before God, we are morally bankrupt. But then God offers us the gift of Jesus with his perfect record of righteousness. And all we have to do is receive it. And we're in God's family. You know, I know family can be such a painful topic, especially at Christmas. Some of us are lonely. Some of us have had our loved ones die. And even in the healthiest of families, there are tensions. What if there's a family that satisfied all your longings for love and belonging and acceptance? A family that can't even be held down by death. Does it sound too good to be true? Well, God promised it. And if you believe him, there's a set of divine adoption papers waiting for you. Adoption papers that can never be revoked because they're signed in blood. Trust God's promise and take the adoption papers and come on in from the cold. Let's pray. Oh, Father, when our hearts condemn us, you are greater than our heart and you know everything. We know that whoever names the name of the Lord must depart from iniquity. Yet so often we find ourselves in sin. Oh God, you know those who are your own. So search us and know our hearts and see if there's any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.